It's a beautiful song. Thank you, choir. This morning I want to bring a message about who is a Christian. So many people think they are and are sadly mistaken. And so I want to this morning give you some characteristics of a Christian. And by the end of the message, hopefully, you'll be able to look at yourself honestly and determine whether or not that is a reflection of you. Is Jesus in your heart? If so, there ought to be some changes that represent that truth. The scripture is John 14, verse 6, and then 15 through 21. John 14, 6, 15 through 21 has some characteristics or traits of a follower of Jesus. 14.6, Jesus tells who he is. He says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So Jesus doesn't just point the way or describe the way or give us a list of things that are the truth. He just points to himself and defines these attributes by, by the measure of himself. Skip down to verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you desolate. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. And that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and will disclose myself or manifest myself to him. Several things Jesus gives us here as traits of a follower of His. So don't just say you're a Christian and then do as you please. But measure your life by these teachings of Jesus and determine whether or not they are an accurate reflection of who you claim to be. Let's bow together. Father, speak to us today and help us take an honest appraisal of ourselves in the light of your word. Measuring beside Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life. And where we deceive ourselves, show us and bring us unto thee. In your name we pray. Amen. I enjoyed reading stories this week about people who, who like to fool one another. There was a set of twins born in another country several years ago, and the parents decided that they were going to save money on their son's private education. And so they sent one of the boys to school on odd days and the other boy to school on even days. And it took the teachers about six months to figure out the deception. Um, Sometimes when I'm at home and, and scanning the channels, I will stop on the military channel. You ever watch the military channel? Some amazing things on that channel. 
One thing I learned that I did not know was during World War II, the Allies deceived the Germans for a while by using inflatable tanks. Inflatable tanks. They were rubber tanks and they would blow them up and set them in fields and when German reconnaissance came over they would count the number of tanks and oftentimes send bombing missions over these rubber tanks and blow them up. They also had wooden tanks they set out there and after a while the Germans figured it out and started dropping wooden bombs on them. So sometimes we fool each other, we enjoy it and, and that can be fun. Sometimes it can be dangerous though. It can be dangerous when you try to fool somebody over something that really matters. Something that really matters like where you're going to spend eternity. I was astonished to read in a Gallup poll recently that four out of five Americans consider themselves to be Christians. Four out of five Americans think they're Christians. If that's true, then there ought to be 80% of Americans who are loving the Lord and serving the Lord and faithfully following Him. And you and I both know that's not the case. So I started looking in the pages of the New Testament, what distinguished those early followers of Jesus? What was it about those early Christians that distinguished themselves about, uh, from everyone else? And as you read through the book of Acts, you will see that the early followers of Jesus were called people of the way. They were followers of the way. And in Acts 24, several times it mentions the way. Festus, governor, was familiar with the way. Something was special about these, these followers of Jesus that singled them out from everybody else. And people who were followers of the way were different. Later on in uh, Acts, uh, the book of Acts, you read in Antioch particularly, their followers of Jesus were first called Christians. Now we take the word Christian for granted and we use it widely. But what did the title Christian mean in the first century? How did those followers of Jesus who were known by their, their friends and neighbors as being Christians, what characteristics, what traits did they have that distinguished themselves from the surrounding community? You know, today I think we're fooling ourselves oftentimes and we think coming to church and being a good person and being good to our fellow man and treating them the way we want to be treated makes us a Christian. But, but that's not the case. I heard someone say one time that sitting in church didn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. It just doesn't work that way. So what are the characteristics, what are the traits of being a Christian. And I have some here listed in your worship bulletin. There are many more, but these just came to my mind this week. The first characteristic of a Christian is someone who is alive. A Christian is someone who is alive. Why is that the case? Because Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, when He comes into the life of a Christian, He gives that Christian His characteristics, His traits. And in one of the characteristics of Jesus, he says, I am the way, the truth, I am the life. And when Jesus is in our heart, he transmits that life to us. And so if you're a Christian, you have life in a way that no other person 
has. People may be going through the world and they may be active and they may be busy and they may be doing all these things and they may think they're alive, but if Jesus is not in their heart, they are dead. I don't know any other way to say it, but they are not alive. They are dead. But when you follow Jesus and He is in you, He who is life gives that life to you. And there is a life, there is a hope, there is a joy, there is a passion, there is an excitement for having Jesus in your heart in a way that, that no one can explain and that no one else can offer. So Jesus is life and He gives His life to those who follow Him. Jesus is alive. Secondly, a Christian is someone who loves. John 13, 35, the chapter just before this puts it very plainly. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have what? If you have love for one another. You want to know how people will know if you're a disciple of Jesus? If you have love for one another. That was one of the unmistakable characteristics of the first century church. Whatever else was going on around them, however anyone else was treating each other, Christians in the first century church loved each other. And that love was not just in word, but it was in actions and expressions. When they were being persecuted, they continued to love not only each other, but those who were persecuting them. And that love was a distinguishing trait of those first century Christians and ought to be a trait of Christians today. Folks, oftentimes as Christians we shoot ourselves in the foot by how we treat one another and how we treat people in the world. Our actions ought to be drawing folks to Jesus, ought to be drawing folks to worship Him and love Him as we do, but often by our behavior, by our actions, we are only confirming the world's opinion of what Christians are, and it drives them away. There ought to be love in the heart of a Christian that is always growing, always developing, always maturing, always reaching out. You want to know how, here's an example, you want to know how Catherine is my child? There is a strong family resemblance. She's very attractive, she's intelligent. She's talented. Well, maybe those come from Susan's side of the family. I, I can't say. But anyway, the point's there. There is a strong family resemblance. And when a person is born into God's family, listen to me, you begin taking on family characteristics of God. And what is God? Jesus says right here, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Those characteristics all men will know you're to my disciples if you have love one for another. God is love. Those characteristics become implanted in your heart. If you're in God's family, you begin to show family resemblance. And who He is is reflected by you. An identifying feature of a Christian is love. And we need to understand that. We need to acknowledge that. And to the extent that we mistreat each other or we mistreat somebody in the world, we're not reflecting the love that should be a characteristic of our family. Let me give you another example. What if I were to come up to you and tell you that I am a monkey? I'm a monkey. What would you think? 
you would, you would say, first of all, you'd want to know if I was kidding or if I was serious. And if I were, then you would have to decide what? I'm crazy. I've lost my mind. I've gone off the deep end. I mean, I could walk around and, and scratch my arms and, you know, make monkey sounds, but am I a monkey? No. I don't have any of the features of a monkey. A monkey has hair all over them and their arms are long and drag the ground and they can climb trees and all these other things. I can't do that. I mean, I can tell you I'm a monkey and try to pretend I'm a monkey until I'm blue in the face. But just because I claim to be a monkey doesn't make me one. And just because you claim to be a Christian doesn't make you one either. That's the point. Being a Christian is, is a result of Jesus living in your heart and those family characteristics, those family traits, taking over the worldly ones that were once a part of your life. When Jesus comes into your life, it says in 1 Corinthians, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Everything is new. Who you were, what you loved, what you used to do, who you used to hang around with, all that is dead. And you become alive to Christ and a whole new set of traits and characteristics and circumstances come into your heart and into your life and become a part of your world. And one of those is love. Now let me give you the last one. This is real simple. Verse 15 and verse 21 of John 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. So if you, plain and simple, if you're a Christian and you love Jesus, then you'll keep his commandments. It says that several times, unmistakably, undeniably in the Bible. Is it hard work to keep God's commandments? Is it drudgery that you have to make yourself want to do? No, no. When you love somebody, you want to please them. When you love your spouse, you want to do things for them. When you love your children, you want to do things. When you love your parents, you want to do things for them. And when you love God, when you, when you become a follower of Jesus, when you become a Christian, it becomes your desire, your heart's desire to please Him. It is not drudgery. It is not work. It is a joy. It is a privilege to obey God because obedience is a response to love. Even when we sin, we're not perfect. Even when we sin, our conscience quickens us and tells us that we've done wrong because you want to keep God's commandments above all. It doesn't always happen, but you're forgiven. And you can confess that and that relationship be renewed and restored. I like the story of the young lady who was uh, hanging out with her friends and her friend said, hey, let's go out clubbing. Let's go to some nightclubs. And the young girl said, no, my parents wouldn't like that. And, and one of the girls said, what, are you afraid your father might hurt you? And she said, no, I'm afraid I might hurt him. You see the difference? I'm afraid I might hurt him because when you love somebody, you want to honor them 
and respect them and not do anything that would hurt them. That's why we obey God's commands, because it is an act of love and devotion. And then when you go throughout the day, you want to do things that that reflect your obedience to God's command. You want to be honest in your dealings. You want to treat people fairly. You want to be nice and kind and do things in a way that will reflect your love for Him. I heard someone tell me, and I had forgotten this, that waitresses and waiters hate Sunday at 12.30. You want to know why? Because Christians are notoriously bad tippers. It's the truth. Christians are notoriously bad tippers. When you go out into the world, be nice to people. Engage your waiter or waitress. Ask, notice their name. Speak to them. When you say your blessing, ask them if there's anything you can pray for for them. And you don't know what kind of impact you might have. Little things, we might think don't matter, but little things add up to mean a lot. I remember, and I, I didn't realize this was such a big deal, but when Catherine was 13, we'd go to the movies. And you know, adult price for a movie is a couple dollars more than a child's price. And Catherine looked a few years younger than 13. And so the lady, the cashier at the theater said, saw me and Susan and Catherine, two adults, one child. And I said, no ma'am, three adults. And I looked at Catherine and said, don't sell your integrity for a measly two bucks. I didn't realize. Catherine has never forgotten that. And she, and she remembers it. And, and uh, if you go to a, a, ca- a checkout uh, cashier and the cashier over, overpays you, undercharges you, and gives you too much money back, do you say, excuse me, you, you've given me too much change and pay them back? You don't know what kind of impact you can have and being honest with people, and treating people with integrity, and loving people, and obeying God's commands. A Christian is someone who has a, a passion and a fullness of life, who has love that continues to grow and reaches out. A Christian is someone who obeys God's command and treats people with integrity and honesty and respect not out of duty or responsibility, but out of an act of love we have for our family. So how do you become a Christian? I would, I would not do you justice today if I told you these ter- characteristics of a Christian but didn't tell you how to become one. Let me give you another example. Let's say a young man comes up to me and says, I want to be a part of your family. And so he says, I'm going to work at being smarter and better looking and more talented because those are our family traits. That wouldn't make him part of our family, would it? Even if he could do all those things, it wouldn't make him part of my family any more than, than, than working at being alive and loving and obeying God's commands make you part of God's family. That's not how it works. You can't be good enough. You can't be smart enough. You can't work hard enough to ever earn or deserve God's family, being adopted into His family and being an heir of the promises and the inheritance of Christ. So how do you become a part of God's family? Very simply, if someone asks you, you can remember by saying ABC. A stands for admit, B stands for believe, C stands for confess, A stands for admit, 
Admit what? Admit that you're a sinner and that your sins have separated you from God. Romans 3.23, for all have, the wages of sin is death. I'm sorry, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is a humbling act and it takes confronting our pride to admit that we are sinners. But we are. Our selfishness and greed and pride and immorality and all the rest born in our hearts come to the surface all the time. We have been walking in the way of death instead of the way of life because the wages of sin is death. And that includes you and me. And it's time to own up to God about our sin and to receive His forgiveness that He freely offers. How does He do that? By believing, second B, believing in Jesus and what He has done for us. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ died for sins once and for all, the just for the unjust, so that He might bring us to God. He died for our sins once and for all. Think about that. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died for all the sins of all the people who were living and ever would live and would profess their faith in Him. When He died on the cross, He conquered death so that each of us could be forgiven. It's like, as, as, as wild as this sounds, it's like a judge bangs his gavel on the bench and says, you are guilty of sin and you are deserving of death. It's a death penalty and there is no hope. And then the judge comes around and pushes us aside and takes the punishment, the penalty for that sin upon himself. What magnificent love makes that possible. He did that for us. And if you admit you're a sinner and believe in Jesus and what He did for you on the cross, thirdly, confess. It's not just confessing your sins, but it's also confessing Jesus as Savior and Lord. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not trying to live life and love and obey God. It's confessing your sin and admitting it and acknowledging it and believing in Jesus and confessing Him as Savior, saving you from your sins, and then as your Lord, which means you get up from there and you go throughout life letting Him guide and direct you. And His life within you gives you life and gives you love and gives you the joy of obeying Him. Is that all you have to do? Just say a prayer and then get up and go on your way? No. That's where it starts. That's where it begins. You don't want to become a Christian and then cheat yourself out of the joy, out of the privilege, out of the fun that comes from living and loving and obeying God all the rest of your life. Preparing for eternity one day in heaven. You know, everybody here is preparing for eternity. Everybody here will face eternity one day. It's either going to be in the presence of God or it's going to be forever separated from God. How do you become a member of God's family? Admitting you're a sinner, 
believing in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross and confessing him as Lord and Savior. You have that opportunity to do so today. If God is speaking to you, it's nothing I can say that can convince you. It's his Holy Spirit working within you. Let's pray right now and ask God to move among us. Will you bow with me? Father, as we come to this time of decision, this, this time of response, we thank you for what Jesus did for us on a hill 2,000 years ago, 8,000 miles away, and the relevance that it has for us in Tifton, Georgia on September the 8th, 2013. That's, that boggles my mind. And yet we know by faith that what we read in the Bible is true. Not what we see on television or what we read on the internet, but what we read in the Bible tells us who Jesus is and how we become a follower of his and how our life is ordered as a result of that relationship. And Father, there are a lot of people sitting in church today and watching by television who may think they're a Christian because, because they've come to church a few times or because they prayed a prayer or two. But the traits of a Christian are those that Jesus offers, the way, the truth, and the life. And when he comes into our hearts, he gives us love and he gives us a desire to please our Heavenly Father. And as we take on those family characteristics, those traits become more and more ingrained within us. And the world will know that we're Christians, not by what we say, but by how we love one another and how we love them. So Father, let our actions and our thoughts and our words be a reflection of the family to which we belong and the love that characterizes us always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.